You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. In this episode, we hear from the incredible Liz Noble from Providence Financial. I first heard about Liz when she won the Community Impact Award at the Zero Awards in 2022. Liz took home the trophy for her initiative to support vulnerable members of her local community during the peak of COVID lockdowns, organising COVID-safe grocery and prescription deliveries with an army of 250 volunteers. Liz herself has faced her fair share of adversity in life, And in this episode, she shares her truly personal story about what motivates her to build a thriving business, live her life to the absolute fullest, all while helping others. Her story is truly inspirational, and I can't thank Liz enough for sharing her journey with us here on Beyond Numbers. But again, Liz, thank you. Welcome, Liz, to Beyond Numbers. Thanks. Hi, Ashley. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Um, why don't you tell me first a little bit about Providence Financial and your career in accountancy so far? Oh, gosh, where do I begin? So Providence Financial, we're a firm of chartered accountants based in Egham in Surrey, England. We work primarily with overseas investors in UK cited property. So the majority of our clients are based in Europe, Netherlands, Sweden. We've got clients also in the UAE, Australia, New Zealand. So we're global. And unlike a lot of accountancy firms, we actually operate on a dual shore basis. So we've got another company in India where we have 15 members of staff who do the sort of back office bookkeeping, accounts preparation, corporation tax returns. And we work very closely with them. So we're constantly in touch on teams and and the like. Ian and I, my co-director, and I go out there twice a year to see everyone, see how they're getting on, talk through strategies and systems talk about the vision for the practice and what we're doing, see with the team how how they're performing, how they want to improve things and taking on board their suggestions as well. So we do a bit of training. We did a mental health resilience workshop last time we were out there, which is resulting in a member of the team training to be a mental health first aider, which is quite unusual in India. So yeah, that's sort of what we do in a nutshell. Brilliant. So you have 15 staff in India. How many do you have here in the UK? We're five in the UK. Okay, great. And whereabouts are they all based? In the UK, we're based in and around Egham, sorry. In India, we're based in Chandigarh in the north in the Punjab. Great. And uh, is everyone office-based? No, we tend to work remotely. Everyone comes into the office once a week, but it may be at different times. But uh, the rest of the time, everyone's working remotely. Great. So around 20 people. And how many clients do you manage? We've got about 560 at the moment. Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah, with the intentions to grow. Tell me then a bit about your uh, your growth intentions. What's the, what's the plan for Providence in the future? So our five-year goal is to be a £1 million turnover practice by 2028. Awesome. And then we chunk that down into annual figures. And then we do a quarterly business review and business planning session where we set the goals for the next three months. Brilliant. How long has Providence been around for then? So in its current format, we've been together since 2020, March 2020. We started off with 200 clients then and we've grown to the 560 odd that we have now. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. How have you managed such huge growth in that time? What's been your focus area? 
We work primarily with referral partners. So rather than market to individual clients, we market to the people that introduce those clients. So property training consortia, letting agents, estate agents, mortgage brokers, they are our sources of referrals. And we also do business networking. Yeah. So was that something that you actively identified in terms of the kinds of clients that you wanted to bring on board? Yes. So we use marketing avatars to define our ideal client and then we use an avatar to define who those clients are buying from and then that gives us the source. And we're working with a guy at the moment who's helping us to develop that even further to target new markets in the UK. Wow, that's so cool. So do you work... with an agency of some sort to support you with that or is that someone that you have in-house? It's an agency, yep. uh, so someone that our business coach introduced us to and he's done it with um, large companies as well, so uh, we're, we're now working with him. Brilliant, that's so cool. Liz, what do you love the most about working in accountancy? That no two days are ever the same. When I wake up in the morning, I can have my day planned but there's always something new. There's always a challenge. And whilst debits and credits, you know, the standard accounting things are, are there, that's not really what my job involves. My job's more helping people with issues and trying to resolve problems and counselling them out of an issue or anticipating an issue that they wouldn't have been aware of. And a lot of my day is spent having conversations with people They'll come to me and say, I've got this situation or this is what I'm planning to do. What do you think? And one thing we do at Providence is we offer a 10 minute free meeting so clients can ring us without the fear of the clock ticking. And we can go, hold on, have you thought about that? Or have you thought about something else? And they go, oh, no, I didn't appreciate that. So we can add value to what we're doing. It's not just about the year end numbers and what they have to pay the tax man. One of the big missions we have at Zero is to help small businesses understand the true value of accountancy. Mostly so they can realise, as you say, that you know if they truly lean on their accountant and consider them as a real partner in business, rather than someone who's going to just do their taxes at the end of the year, they can see real benefits in their business. So what is your perception of the accounting industry more broadly? So my perception of the accounting industry is it's not just number crunching. There's far more to it. It's about interpretation. It's about the knowledge and experience that you bring and your specialisms to the client's particular set of circumstances. And being sort of the trusted advisor that if a client's got a query, even though you may not know the answer, you can signpost them. So my role isn't just interpreting numbers. Sometimes a client will will say, I've got a particular problem or I've got a particular issue. And I can signpost them through my networking to other trusted professionals who will be able to give them the answer and and help them out. So in terms of where do accountants sit now, we're probably the bank managers of the 1970s where you would go when you wanted an answer to a question, but you didn't know who to ask. So I think that's where we sit now. Do you think small businesses understand the value that you have to offer when they first sort of get in touch with Providence Financial? That's a really interesting question. It was a question we I had a, a management team meeting just before I came here for today. And one of the things we were talking about was our value add offering and how we can improve that and, and what we're doing about it. Especially when we're looking at price rises. I mean, we haven't increased our prices for four years. So we're looking at 
how do we convey that message to clients that yes, prices need to go up because of inflation, because we're seeing increased costs as well. But also balancing that with this is the value that we add to you. If we make a tax saving, we always we always say this is the tax that you've saved as a result of what we've done for you. And one of the things we're looking at is doing more webinars building our community of clients and having clients actually talking to each other because they've got shared experiences. What we have found recently is a number of clients want to sell properties and so we've been able to introduce them to other clients that want to buy properties. That way it's it's a win-win. You know, The client that doesn't want that property gets a sale, another client that wants a property gets a purchase and we get two happy clients and we've been instrumental in bringing that connection together. Let's talk a little bit about your Community Impact Award. Uh, You and your firm won uh, the Community Impact category at the Zero Awards in 2022, a year ago now. I want to talk about this because your entry really drew my attention. I'd love our listeners to hear more about it too, since it was just so great. And I was really blown away by what the judges were saying about your entry. To quote, they said... Their efforts were phenomenal and it was clear that they truly thought about the needs of the community and acted fast to help. Providence Financial truly made an impact on their community that will stand the test of time and at a scale disproportionate to the size of the team that launched it. So why don't you tell our listeners what your entry was all about last year? Uh, So when the first lockdown was announced in 2020, we'd literally just started the practice. And I woke up early one morning as lockdown had been announced, and thought, I've got seven people dependent on me. Five of those people were shielding. If something happens to me, how are they going to get their food? How are they going to get prescriptions if they're ill? How are we going to cope? And I thought, I'm sure I'm not the only person in this situation. So we used Facebook to put out a post to say, Is anyone else in this situation? Is anyone interested in setting up a village-wide or a community-based response for this? And within 48 hours, we had 250 volunteers. So it's a case of, we need to do something. People want to help. Um, At that stage, the NHS hadn't launched their volunteer response. And there didn't seem to be a lot happening in and around my local community to deal with this. So I put together a committee. We decided the committee would have two people in every role so that if one person was ill, someone else was always able to to step up. And what we did was we set up a prescription service. So people were having to queue for four hours at a time to get their prescriptions from the local chemist who was overrun. They couldn't find inhalers and the like. So three people spent their days sourcing inhalers and bringing them to the chemists um, so they could be prescribed and dispensed. We got in touch with the managing director of the local pharmacy chain and said, if we were to have a prescription delivery service for you, would that help? And they said, yes. So we took over all the deliveries for them. So every day the team would go to the chemist, pick up the prescriptions, deliver them, and that was how we coped with that but then we had people who were shielding couldn't get shopping slots because the shopping slots were full so we thought well how do we help them to get their shopping and how do we get the volunteers to get paid and it took a while to set up but what we did was we used zero to set up a system where families could make a payment into a ring-fenced bank account 
so they might deposit £100. The resident would send in their shopping list. We would allocate that to a volunteer who would then go out and do the shopping. They would then deliver the shopping to the doorstep, take a photo of the receipt, which they would then upload into Xero. We could then check it against the original shopping request to make sure that it tied up. And when that check was done, we would then reimburse the volunteer. So in that way, people were able to get their shopping. We, we initially started that in my village and we rolled that out to the entire ward and then to the borough. I was asked to join the borough committee and every process that we developed in the borough then got rolled out to other boroughs. And in actual fact, Boris Johnson, who was the prime minister at the time, he was told by Michael Gove, our MP, about what we were doing. And he referred to what we were doing as the gold standard of community responses, which was really great. And it was great to have that feedback for the local volunteers. And we had people in that time who hadn't worked for years and several of them got jobs off the back of what they'd learned during that time. We had people who didn't know how to use spreadsheets, but they soon got to use spreadsheets people that hadn't used databases and they acquired all these skills during lockdown that led them to get jobs afterwards which was fantastic. The other thing that we did was we had a community volunteer on every street and they would go around and check that people were okay so that we knew that if someone hadn't been seen for a couple of days we would check that they were okay and that's continued in that communities have said the streets have set up whatsapp groups so they're in touch with others. So it's brought the community together in our ward, which was fantastic. We were thrilled to have won the award. It's been a real boost to the team. And it's helped us actually to develop more community responses since. One of the things we're doing now in India is we did a mental health workshop with our, our team. We've got two apprentices in India that we're training up to be accountants. In India, it costs £10,000 plus to become qualified, and many people can't afford that, so they don't train. So we're paying for people to train to become accountants, and then we have an apprentice in the UK as well. So the next wave of accountants is coming up from Providence UK and Providence India. That's so cool. and I can't quite fathom how you find the time to, to do all this while also running a highly profitable accounting firm as well. It's I don't really sleep impressive. much. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I imagine you don't. Goodness. What, what's the impact of the program been on your local community? How has it sort of continued post-COVID? So post-COVID, the funds that were raised during that time fed back to local communities. Volunteers that had stepped forward during COVID have now carried on volunteering mm -hmm. so local charities that were struggling to find volunteers because all of their volunteers were shielding during covid have now had a new influx of people other sort of sidelines i was asked to stand for council i'm now an elected councillor brilliant so i represent my ward on the full council but also on planning and financial scrutiny and performance so uh, i'm standing I'm sure for election. they need someone like you that's yes, great so i love doing the casework learned a lot about planning law in the last year yeah so yeah that's that's sort of come out of that we set up a food bank as well coming away from covid there was still a need with currently feeding i think we've got 37 people we're feeding at the moment we've had 156 at christmas and uh, 
the food bank's growing, going from strength to strength in terms of the number of volunteers and its reach within the community. So yeah, lots of projects have come out of that wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's such an amazing thing to have done, Liz. Mm. Congratulations. Thank really you. Really cool. Uh, and so deserving of that award, by the way. Like, Thank you. Yeah, really <laughs> impressive. It, um, it was a huge team effort. It wasn't just me, although I may have been fronting it. I couldn't have done it without the support of the team who, who were behind the scenes doing, doing bits and pieces to help it all come together. No doubt. I can't imagine it would be something you could do on your own. So it's so great that you had all those people that were willing to support. Really cool. It feels to me like you have this real sense of purpose. What is it that motivates you? Lots of things motivate me. When I was little, my dad always says that my stock phrase was, I do it. And I've always done it. I find it very difficult to sit on my hands and say no. I'm having to learn that now. But... Yeah, that sort of motivates me. I hate injustice. I hate unfairness and inequality. So whereas 20 years ago, I would have sat on my hands and not done anything about it. By standing as a councillor, I've now got a voice. You can only do so much unelected. So the next step was to have a voice and make that voice heard. So I've become a bit of a disruptor. I'm more liable to stand up and say, no, that's not right, that's not fair, I don't think that's appropriate, than I would have done several years ago. That motivates me. In my life, I've had some personal bereavements and they made me realise that you only have one life and you never know what's around the corner. So that's sparked a change in my personal mindset and I'm now about live every day for the moment, live life, because you only get one chance at it. And even if something is negative, there's always the chance to turn it around by finding a positive in it. So in every negative, I look for a positive. And that's my my personal mantra. I'm actually writing a book about it, but I haven't got that far as actually publishing it yet, but it's it's in draft. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Was there someone in your life that helped you get through some of those difficult times? No one person. The principal loss that I had was the loss of my husband. We were married for over 30 years. He was my soulmate. So his loss was huge to me and my boys. But I had the support of my squad at local rugby club. I didn't cook for three weeks. There was a meal on the doorstep every night for for me and the boys. A lot of my friends are Asian, and they said to me on the day that Martin died... In our culture, we come and stay with you for 12 days and we look after your house. You receive your visitors, but we do everything for you. And they did. They said I was their sister. They didn't have family in the UK and I was their UK sister. So they came and looked after us. So I've had their support. I've had the support of all sorts of people, both professionally and personally. And that's led me to other things. I mean, I've trained as a funeral celebrant because I didn't want my husband's funeral to be sort of an anonymous affair. Uh, So I've had huge support from all over the place, even people that I didn't know. I mean, the first Christmas, I was sitting there watching the boys, adults, opening their Christmas presents, thinking I haven't actually got any presents because Martin would have bought them for me. And there was a knock at the door and I opened the door and there was a stocking there And a lady that I didn't know that well had gone out and bought a stocking load of presents for me because she'd realised that I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have have anything. 
And so from that moment, it was little random acts of kindness can make such an impact on other people that I try and make that impact. I, I try and do something that maybe won't mean that much or doesn't take that much but has a huge impact and I recently found out that I did a Facebook post for someone they wanted to know where to send a prom dress and that actually led to them getting a job they ended up volunteering at the place that took all the prom dresses in and they've now got a full-time job as a result and that was just through my Facebook post and they told me about it and I thought I, I had no idea you have no idea about what impact you make on other people but if you can put your mind to making one small act or looking for an opportunity to do something to help someone can have a huge ramification on on people yeah wow I know you said before that you don't believe that you're inspiring but that's crazy because you definitely are <laughs> you've worked with was it action action, action coach, coach? Yes. tell me a bit about that Working with Action Coach came out of starting to, to be a funeral celebrant. I fell out of love with with accountancy. I was working in a practice at the time and I just found it difficult balancing being bereaved. I lost my husband and my mother-in-law in the space of three months. I'd got the children who were 22 and 15 at the time, so we were going into GCSEs. It was all a bit difficult and trying to balance being in a full-time job trying to be present in that full-time job and doing everything else was, was just a stretch too far. And I actually said, that's it, I quit. <laughs> and, and said, you can either take my three months notice and I'll go sick or I just leave now um, because it's not working for me. And they said, well, take some time and decide what you want to do. I'd just actually done my mother-in-law's funeral because she asked me to do her funeral for her. And the funeral director had said, why don't you train? And I thought, yeah, I'm going to train. So I went off and did the course. And I actually had six diaries that I was running because I was consulting to somebody else and I was consulting here and I was doing this and doing that. And I couldn't operate all the diaries. I was just getting into a muddle. And I met Mark, my action coach, and said, look, well, how do I manage this? What do I do? And... We decided actually that I'd put the celebrancy on hold because Ian, my co-director, had offered me the opportunity to join him, set up Providence, and I thought, yeah, this is something I really want to do. So we've been working with Mark now for three years and he's helped us grow from 200 clients to 560 to setting our goal at being 1,500 clients in five years' time. So working with Mark makes us accountable He's, he's our accountability coach. He doesn't necessarily tell us, he, well, he doesn't tell us what to do, but he talks with us about what could we do? What's the upside and the downside? How can we do things smarter? Why aren't we delegating is often the subject of our, our coaching sessions. He's changed my mindset. I mean, last year at um, the BizX conference, they had a speaker there, Stephen M. R. Covey, talking about trust and inspire. And it's a, a different way of managing your team. And he said, if you trust your team and you can inspire them, you can help them to grow. And that in turn helps your business grow. And we took this and when we went out to India last year, we said to the team, which parts of your job do you like? Which parts of your job don't you like? If we can recruit the parts of the job that you don't like to somebody else and you can grow that area of the business or that particular interest, 
what do you think you can do? What would you like your job to be? Where would you like it to take you? And they told us, and that's what we've done. So we've recruited new people. We've taken roles away. We've given everybody responsibility for a process. They can change that process if they want to, but they've got to run it through the systems champion who's got oversight on all of our systems within the practice because there may be unintended consequences of changing a change in one part of the, the practice on another part of the practice. So providing our systems champion can see that it doesn't impact anyone else and providing we've got the communication channel set up so that the right people are informed at the right time and only once, then those systems can be changed. And we're using zero practice management to help us deliver that now. That's so cool. How do your team find that? How have they responded to that opportunity? It's been amazing. When we went out to India just after winning the awards last year, we had a particular team member, very, very shy. She wouldn't say boo to a goose. And and we put this to her and, and it was just totally out of her comfort zone. She'd never even envisaged that a boss would be talking to her, let alone asking her opinion. But when we went back in November, she said, I've got so many ideas for you. Can I have a meeting with you to explain them all? It was like, yes, of course you can. And she had some cracking ideas and we've implemented quite a few of them. Amazing. And it's lovely to see that personal development yeah. just by making a subtle change in the way that we do things. Your coach, has he gotten involved on the personal side as well or has that been sort of completely separate? Uh, no, he has got inside on the personal side. He's one of my biggest supporters, actually. He's brilliant. On the personal side, I've been on a weight loss journey. So uh, two years ago, I was 20 stone, 120 kilos. And I'm now 64 kilos. I've lost 56 kilos. How do you feel? So much better and so many new wardrobes. Yeah. (laughs) But um, he's helped me with a mindset on that because there are some psychological issues that you have to overcome, like socialising. I can't go out and eat a three-course meal, but I can eat a little bit. So there's sort of subtle differences there. How else has he helped me? He's helped introduce me to people. So I have a bereavement coach and she's helped me cope with getting over those losses and it's not just the losses of losing a person there are other losses in life so it might be a loss of enjoyment of something it might be a loss of a pet and she's helped me realize those and address them and now I've got a toolkit that I can use when I come across a loss or I come across something negative I can go okay I need to write a letter about that and read it to somebody and then that's it it's parked it's fine I can move on you've obviously got you know a lot of plans for the future and a lot that you want to achieve do you put pen to paper or is it a bit more fluid than that how does that all work no I'm, I'm very much a pen to paper write it down because once you've got your goals written they're evident and goals are more likely to be achieved if they're written so we have our quarterly business planning and personal planning meeting so I set out three business goals one of which is my must achieve I set out the steps that I'm going to take within that quarter to achieve that goal and I assign them now to members of the team to achieve them so it's not just me doing it it becomes a firm wide thing Ian my co-director he now sets his own three personal business goals so we're now looking at six business goals per quarter and we both set a personal goal 
So I've got a personal goal this quarter. It's my big 60th birthday coming up and I'm trying to do 60 things I've never done before. So uh, I've got to try and do those in this next quarter, finish those off. Great. What are some of the key ones that you're looking forward to? Looking forward, I've got a villa in Tuscany for my birthday, so I'm having a house party. Excellent. I've got a parachute jump coming up, which I had to put off because I broke my knee doing an indoor skydive last last year. I've just come back from a weekend in Edinburgh. I've never been to Edinburgh. I've never been on a tram. I used to never have my nails painted. So not major bucket list things, but little things I've never done before. So shows I've never been to see that I've wanted to see, places I've wanted to go that I've never been to. I had afternoon tea in the Shard. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm living my life. That's great. And I guess, like, it doesn't always have to be the big things, as you say, like just enjoying those moments of life and making sure that you do it before you don't have an opportunity to do it, right? And it's also thinking and reflecting on what you have done and being grateful for what you can do. So that's also a part of my mindset as well is be thankful for what you've got and be thankful that you are able to do things. So, yes, that's part of my mindset as well. So what would you say your your purpose is? My my purpose, <laughs> my life goal is to achieve at my funeral, knowing that I'm the best incarnation of me that I could possibly be. I've written my funeral, by the way, <laughs> and my boys know where it is. <laughs> so that's, if you like, my, my life goal. I would like to have made a difference. I would like people to remember me as someone that did make a difference. If I can inspire people along the way, that's brilliant. I don't necessarily set that as a goal because I'm not quite sure how I would measure that. And all my goals are smart goals. <laughs> um, but yes, in terms of setting that as a goal, yes, that is a goal, but I can't measure it. Maybe we could run a poll that's like, how many people have been inspired by Liz today? <laughs> and then we can measure it. <laughs> I'm actually going to suggest that. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is facing real adversity right now, what might be the first steps that they would take? The first steps are it's never as bad as you think it it can be. Break it down into small steps. Ask for support. There's always someone that can support, and if they don't know, they can signpost you to somewhere that you can get support. So if it's a mental health issue, then reach out to a friend, a doctor, teachers, colleagues, whoever, and get support. Mental health first aiders can signpost you. If it's a personal issue, a friend or someone you know, someone in your community, even your local councillors can help because they can help signpost you too. And talk about it. Don't bottle it up. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm probably far too open for my own good. But I find that if you talk to someone and if you share things, then people will share things with you too. And certainly I found that in my weight loss journey. I set up a Facebook page about losing weight because sometimes you just don't know what to eat and sometimes the food just doesn't stay down. And and you think, well, what do I do? And what I found was that people that followed me on that Facebook page, some of them had also had the same surgery and they were able to offer support. So actually in setting out a Facebook page about what it looks like to lose weight through surgery actually helped me because the people that were following me were able, able to support me too. So, so yeah, look for support on Facebook. There's loads of support groups. You can post anonymously in a lot of them. Just ask and someone will step forward.
not that I'm encouraging more people to ask you questions because it sounds like you've got enough on your plate, but <laughs> where can people connect with you or learn more about you and your business? Uh, so we've got a website that's currently in redevelopment, but it's, it's there. We're on LinkedIn as Providence Financial. I'm on LinkedIn as Liz Noble. Ian Spreadbury is my co-director. We're on Facebook. We're not so good at Instagram. That's not an area that we, we're good in, but Facebook, LinkedIn, website are good places to, to contact us. And you can also email us hello at providencefinancial.co.uk or welcome at providencefinancial.co.uk. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you so much, Liz. That was such an interesting discussion. I loved hearing all of your stories and your background. And yeah, it's really impressive what you've done. So yeah, congratulations. And, and thanks for coming and telling your story on the podcast today. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. And thank you to Zero for everything that they do for Providence Financial. We wouldn't be where we are without the, the assistance of the Zeros. You're, you're all great. Awesome. It's awesome to hear. You're most welcome. I'm sure everyone at Zero would would agree. To wrap up our podcast, I do a silly little game called Would You Rather. Um, I just ask you some random questions. Funnily enough, my first question, you've I feel like you've probably already answered it, but would you rather bungee jump or skydive? Skydive. I'm not going to do a bungee jump. The team in India want me to do one, but I'm not going to. Why not? <laughs> no, I don't fancy that. Just the, I, I the risk of hitting the ground? Yeah, yeah. You know you could do that both both ways <laughs> <laughs> I'm attached to someone else and hopefully they'll fall before I do yeah, that's fair. okay would you rather have a superpower to read anyone's mind or to change someone's mind that's a really interesting question um I wouldn't change someone's mind I think I would influence reading someone's mind that could be useful <laughs> So if you could read someone's mind, you'd probably know better how to influence. So maybe that's that's the answer. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Okay, and would you rather read a really great book or watch a really great movie? Read a book. I've got one in my bag. Yeah. What are you reading at the moment? <laughs> I'm reading The Marriage Portrait. Okay. Are you a fiction versus non-fiction Yes. Fan? Yeah, I do, read, I do read sort of inspirational books. I'm currently reading Scotty Mills, but I do like a quiet fictional reader. Yeah, a bit of escapism is always good, isn't it? Yeah. If you had an opportunity to start any small business, so say you weren't an accountant and you wanted to start something else, different, what might it be? I'd be a funeral celebrant. Okay. I think funerals are for the living. I think funerals are the perfect opportunity to celebrate a life. Not to be sad, but to celebrate everything positive. And someone actually said to me, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. That's a quote from Dr. Seuss of Cat in the Hat. Um, and that's one of the things that I I live by. So if you, uh, it would be writing funerals, officiating at funerals, and giving families the, the celebration of life that they want for the person they've lost. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Liz. Uh, it's been really great to chat to you today. Thank you. You've been listening to Beyond Numbers, brought to you by Zero, produced by Birdline Media. If you heard something that caught your attention, share the episode with your colleagues so they can listen too. Thanks for listening.